College is expensive. As young, aspiring to be somebody's, we're dreaming big. But a lot of the time, it feels like there's only so many safe and logistically right career options to pick from with the stakes at play. That sentiment is as true at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, where I'm currently a student, as it is at colleges everywhere across this country. But it doesn't have to be that way. My name is Max Patton, and as a UVA student, I want to tell you the stories of students and graduates here at the University of Virginia who aren't following the path you would expect. They're not standing on anyone's shoulders. In fact, they're changing their futures, whether that be by working in the AAA games industry, designing crosswords for a national paper, or even starting their own creative businesses. This month, I'm going to be talking to Dave Warner, who's a senior product lead at Adobe, the company that makes Photoshop, who's working on their revolutionary character animator software, which has been used by everybody from video game streamers to The Simpsons. Yep, you heard that right. Dave has also worked on several multimedia projects, including video game development, digital art, music, and he's even dabbled in education. Let's find out how he got to where he is and where all the puzzle pieces fit in. All right, I am with Dave Werner of Adobe. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Going well, thanks. So first of all, can you just kind of introduce yourself to the audience? Um, Let's just start out with your major and year from UVA. Yeah, so I was a uh, English and music major at UVA, uh, class of 2002. Um, so I, I I was in that camp where I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> so I just went with the stuff that seemed interesting to me, which was, you know, uh, I liked to write and I liked to make music. And so those seemed like where I fell. And I was actually, uh, I think at the time of graduation, I was maybe five credits away from being an astronomy minor uh, oh, wow. too, because I, I, I just took, that was kind of my... I don't know, back in the day, that, that, that was my uh, science requirement. So I, I filled that and I was like, hey, astronomy is kind of cool. I like this. And so I, I took a few classes from that, but I, I didn't full th- go through with it. But uh, yeah, English and music was, was mine. Cool, cool. And so what are you doing now at uh, Adobe? Uh, yeah, so I am a, a senior experience designer for the character animator team. Um, so that's a relatively new product um, that is basically performance capture animation. So you uh, create a character, draw something in Photoshop or uh, Illustrator uh, to Adobe products or any PSD or AI file, basically. And then you uh, hook it up to Character Animator and you can create, you know, perform your character with your own face movements and voice. And it does all the lip sync for you and all of that stuff. And it's it's just a really uh, quick and uh, easy way to uh, get get into uh, animation. So it's uh, fun. And I've been with that team for, well, I've been at Adobe for about seven years and I've been with this team, I think, for about four of those years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just from what I've looked at, it looks like a really kind of accessible way to think of, you know, people think of motion capture and technologies like that. They think of, mm-hmm. um, you know, people in Hollywood wearing suits. Right. The idea of, um, you know, you don't have to be Marvel or Disney to just make a simple kind of 2D or otherwise animation, uh, but, you know, off the shelf or subscription software is, I think, uh, pretty revolutionary. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we we've been excited about. I mean, th- that's been the reaction we've seen is that it's it's both both the professional and the amateur side, right? So you, you get professionals, you get you know um, you know the Nickelodeons and Disney's of the world who um, they see something like this and and as they're they're not doing you know the 
it's not just the 22 minute episode or the, you know, hour 90 minute movie anymore. It's a lot of social media posts. It's a lot of, uh, you know, the idea of live animation is kind of a crazy new concept. Um, and so we see those people, uh, you know, companies like that latching onto it and how, how quickly you can make really cool stuff with character animator. But on the other side, we see people have been kind of scared with scared about animation. Um, and, you know, particularly character animations feels very complicated and maybe they can draw really well, but they're like, I, I don't know the first thing about animating, you know, you open up after effects and you close it immediately. Cause it looks like a cockpit of a 747. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but you get into you, when you open up character animator and you move your head around and you start blinking and talking, you're like, Whoa, Hey, wait a minute. I could, I could actually do this. I could, I can make a cartoon. Like I can make a, a pilot and, you know, put it out there and make a web series or an animated short or same for Instagram. And, um, so we see both sides of those, you know, working on it, uh, working with it. And that's been really, really exciting to see. Not a week goes by where there's not something just crazy awesome that someone sends me that they did with it. And I'm, I'm, you know, continually inspired by that type of stuff. Yeah, I think it's an awesome addition to the kind of creative tool chain. And I definitely want to get more into that later. But I guess just rewinding, let's go on chronologically and just start with, I guess, shortly before college. Like, what did sure. you mention, you know, not knowing what you were going to do yet, which I think is pretty common. But like, what exactly were things like, you know, high school, you know, before you went to UVA? Yeah, so um, I went to high school at Robinson High School in, uh, in uh, Robinson Secondary School at uh, Fairfax, Virginia. And, uh, there, yeah, I, I just, you know, I was, I don't know, did a bunch of, uh, you know, involved with the school paper, played in a band, uh, um, you know, just did played a lot of video games, you know, it's <laughs> just the stuff that a normal high schooler would do. Um, but, uh, you know, was always, uh, always interested in the creative side of things. I mean, I was that kid in class who was bringing in, you know, videos for his, you know, on VHS tapes for his book reports and that sort of thing. So I, I like specifically remember, um, you know, I would, there was a super Nintendo game called Mario paint. Um, and, uh, you could, you know, make these little, little animations with it. And so I would do all my projects and book reports with Mario paint. I would basically, you know, draw something, a small animation record it on the VCR for a few seconds, then move on, draw something else. And I would make these big animated, you know, presentations and, you know, little, little Billy comes in with his, you know, crappy diorama and he's up against <laughs> that. He's like, Oh no, you know, <laughs> it was, uh, so it was kind of unfair, but it, it was fun. So even at an early age, I knew that like the, the creative world was where I wanted to be, what the type of stuff I enjoyed the most, the stuff I was most passionate about was just creating stuff. Um, right. and so I think that's, that's kind of throughout, throughout my whole life. That's kind of been the, the main thread, I guess. And there was also this theme of like combining that, you know, artistic and creative inclination with, I guess, you know, digital tools. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was always making, yeah, movies. Uh, my, my parents had a, you know, little cam camcorder that I would bring around and, and make, you know, dumb movies with, with my brother. Um, we would, yeah, yeah, it's all sorts of video game interactive stuff. Um, yeah, just kind of always tinkering around with, with things and, and breaking things and doing, just doing dumb experiments pretty much most of the time, you know, you're doing little explosion videos or, uh, um, you know, music definitely was, a, has always been a big part of my life. So playing with, uh, you know, three of my best friends and in our basement, you know, and, and at the local, you know, shows Janine Mason's 16th birthday party was our first show. And that was a you know big experience. It was, uh, yeah, just always doing that sort of fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And I guess like, what was the landscape like at the time? Like, you know, pre kind of, you know, YouTube mainstream, everything, the idea that, you know, you mentioned being in a band and things like that, was that kind of like, I guess, you know, local outreach that the, the like standard way to, you know, get yourself out there? musically and just creatively? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we didn't know the first thing what we were doing, right? It was, it was more just, Hey, this seems like a fun thing to do. Um, you know, it's, uh, my brother plays the drums, my friend plays guitar. Let's, let's do this. Like, let's get together and, you know, do the same together. And yeah, there was not, I remember like <laughs> our bass player, Eugene had uh, AOL and we went over to his house and he was like, oh, this is so cool. You can go to these chat rooms and you can like say funny things and then leave, you know? And we <laughs> thought that was the craziest, funniest thing ever. But like, that's what the internet was for us at that time. Um, it was, you know, this was, you know, uh, uh, late nineties, basically. Um, it was, you know, the early days of that sort of stuff. And um, I ended up eventually, so the band actually kept together through college. Um, oh, wow. And uh, the other three guys went to James Madison University. I went to the University of Virginia. And and we we would play, you know, frat parties and different charity events and things like that throughout the years. Um, but throughout that time, that's when we started to see, I started to see, oh, yeah, like you can make a website and actually put your music online and let people hear it. That's really cool. So I think that was a driving factor for me to get interested in interactive design was you know, purely selfish reasons of wanting to get our, <laughs> our music and our, our, uh, you know, get some exposure out there, um, to people. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how you learn. Um, yeah. how'd you end up, uh, I, I guess, I mean, your friends at JMU, you end up at UVA. Was that just a kind of, you know, in-state, uh, thing? I don't remember how many schools I applied to or whatever, but UVA was always kind of the, I remember going on the tour and being like, oh, this feels like, this just feels right. You know, like this feels like, the place that um, if, if I were lucky enough to get in, um, I'd, I'd want to be. And so, yeah, luckily it worked out. And um, yeah, it was mainly, you know, I don't think I looked at any out-of-state schools, probably for financial reasons. But uh, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, you, you know, Virginia schools are really, really good um, for sure. And so I, I felt like I couldn't go wrong um, with, you know, going in-state. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how early on did you kind of get the inclination to do, you know, music and English? That's a good question. I mean, I, I just, I guess I was just, whenever the time was that they said, you have to start figuring out your major and, you know, that stuff, I started to say, well, I've, these are the types of classes I've been taking and I'm interested in. And uh, I think the, you know, again, on the creative side of things, that's kind of the classes that I gravitated to the most was I, I tried to take every creative writing class, you know, I possibly could um, and music, uh, you know, theory and composition classes as well. You know, ex experimental stuff with, you know, interactive soundscapes. And like, I made this little video game thing where you walk through a 3D environment and different sounds play. And so it's like, you know, walking through a 3D sound. Well, it's just, just weird stuff like that. But but it, it was always that creative slant was what really drove me to those um, those parts. Now, at least in my time there, there wasn't anything for the type of work I do now, UI, UX, you know, designer, design type stuff. Um, had that been there, maybe I, I would have, you know, gravitated towards that direction. But at least at, at that time, music in English was, you know, the main thing. And, and to be honest, I mean, I think that was, I, I would say inside the classroom was just as important as outside the classroom. And outside the classroom might have been just even more important because I was also, um, for the Cab Daily, doing comics and editorial cartoons for them. So being forced to draw and be, try attempt to be funny on a daily basis, um, you know, that was that was part of the equation. Um, and then doing different uh, dance marathons, charity event. I was involved with that, uh, playing in the band, like I said. So there were all these things outside of the classroom that I was also involved with that I think allowed me to, you know, also have these creative outlets and oh, making logos for students, right? Everyone always needs a logo for their student organization or whatever, running yeah. for class president or stuff like that. So I would do that sort of stuff too, just on always on the side. So it was, it was a, you know, a mix of all that, that kind of creative stuff at any given time. Mm -hmm. 
So how was it like, you know, reconciling the kind of Swiss army, uh, you know, creative hobby life just in your free time with the, you know, like you mentioned, music theory, the very kind of theoretical, traditional things you're learning in class? It's weird because I, yeah, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of people when they first got to school were like, well, I'm pre-med or I'm pre-law or I'm engineering or I'm education. I was like, how do you know that? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, I was always fascinated by that. And, and I, yeah, I guess I just took that Swiss army approach because I, I was just interested in so many different things and, and I not necessarily good at all of them, but I, you know, but I enjoyed them. Um, and so for me, it was just really kind of wanting to explore all of that stuff. So it was definitely a balance. It was in college is a great time to learn kind of that, that balance of everything. You've got kind of the freedom of doing whatever you want and doing your own time management, but, um, trying to, to balance, you know, your side projects with your, your real projects and homework and classes and friends and social life and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I guess I just, um, I just went with what felt interesting to me and it, I, I guess it luckily worked out somehow. And did you see yourself, you know, having this kind of like multimedia career or was it just more of a thing like, oh, you know, I make logos and stuff for people, you know, I'm good with software and I'm good with knowing how to do this stuff. What was that like? Yeah, not at all, because I didn't even know you could make a career doing that sort of stuff, right? Like being a, I, I, I didn't have a concept in my mind that this was something that was possible, um, that you could be like, I didn't know what a designer was basically at that time. Um, so for me, it was kind of, I, I just... Yeah, I, you know, if you had asked me at any point in, um, you know, at school, what I would think I would be doing, I, I probably wouldn't know. I mean, I, I always had a vague notion that, oh, maybe I'll do teaching and I'll teach. And then on the side, I'll do some, you know, creative projects. Maybe I'll try to write a children's book or do the music thing on the side or something like that. But never this idea that, you know, all these, all these various, you know, logos and animations and robot drawings and all this stuff would somehow find its way into a, uh, an actual career, um, that, yeah, I, I just, I, I didn't even know that existed back then. You know, you mentioned the, I, the idea and it's a very true and, you know, a persistent one that people go into college expecting one thing, right? I'm pre-law, like even like yeah. pre-med is one thing, but pre-law, like how do you even know at this point? I don't know. Right. Uh, but be people, you know, say that, and it's, it's, it's just kind of natural. It feels expected to do that. Did you, I mean, was there something, was there any anxiety or like feeling of difference of like, maybe I don't have that idea yet? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I felt that all the time, particularly as people were starting to understand, you know, friends would get into the business school or they would, um, you know, start to get job offers or opportunities and, or, you know, no kind of have an idea of what companies they would want to apply to. And I, I was just, I, I, I often felt lost. I felt like I really had no, I remember going to like a teaching job fair once, but then, you know, I hadn't been going to the ed school. So I, I didn't really have that background. Um, just, you know, kind of feeling like, well, I, I really don't know what I want to do or where I want to go with this. That's when there was, um, there was an informational meeting for the teach for America program. And, I, you know, went to that and started to say, well, you know, this seems really interesting. Like this is a way for me to start to go into teaching without having, you know, that been my primary focus in, in college, but to, you know, kind of get thrown in the deep end with teaching and, and get a, you know, get a chance to um, hopefully do something positive and, and optimistic and, you know, keep trying to figure things out in the meantime. So I, you know, I went to that informational meeting and that seemed, seemed like, the right path to take. So that's actually where I, you know, ended up with, with, with my first job, um, was, was doing teach for America. And going into that, what do you think appealed to you about the education process? 
you know, I, I look back on my education and how much, how huge an influence teachers had on me. Um, you, you know, that was, that's particularly in a lot of those formative critical years. Uh, I think back to, well, this is, you know, in second grade is where I learned, you know, this particular skill with Mrs. Clark or fourth grade with Mrs. Williams. Like, you know, I, I can distinctly remember, you know, how they helped me, uh, you know, nurture me and helped me um, become the best version of myself. So I think there was always that aspect of it that, uh, that I was drawn to. And then I just really liked the idea of Teach for America as well, just taking these places that traditionally have had, you know, not the best opportunities, really difficult education and environments and trying to make a difference there instead of just putting your hands up and saying, well, we'll wait for legislation to pass or funding to come through or send like that. It's like, no, let's just throw people in, in and give them, you know, let them try to do the best they can. And it's, uh, you know, definitely, definitely difficult, definitely, um, you know, not the, not something that, that is easily, you know, fixed, but at least it's a step in the right direction. And so I, th- I think that real, that aspect of it, um, really appealed to me as well. Right. And out of college, that's such a, I don't know, like real world thing to do. What were mm-hmm. the kind of lessons you found yourself, you know, just naturally picking up in such a, you know, fast paced and, you know, real environment? Yeah, well, a lot. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, it was immediately clear that I was going to have to figure out a lot of stuff on my own um, because the the support at, at our school was not really there. Um, the principal ended up getting fired three quarters of the way through the year in the state of Maryland to go over the school. So then, that was the first yeah. part. Um, I taught in what we call, they called in open space classroom, which was basically just a hallway with dividers on either side. Um, So there were two other class, there was a classroom on either side of me. I was in the middle of this hallway and basically you could hear everything that the other class was saying at any given time. I mean, it was an awful learning environment, but that's what, that's what they had. Right. So, um, I mean, people would throw chairs over the barriers. Like it was, it was just an insane thing. So I think I quickly learned that, you know, the school itself, I quickly learned I was going to have to figure stuff out on my own. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, trying to cater the lessons towards the kids a little bit better and trying to understand, you know, what they were interested in and how I could relate to them as opposed to, you know, they give you these really standard lesson plans and textbooks that are dry and boring and maybe in a particular environment they work, but for this, you know, for this environment, it definitely didn't when, you know, there's classrooms on either side of you and people throwing chairs around. So I tried to make it more interesting. I tried to make it, uh, you know, we had games and a whole treasure map, you know, learning system where you could progress around an island and get points for the, you know, the projects you did and get rewards. And I made a whole website about that. You know, it it was things like that, that I tried to, you know, take, take initiative and and make things do the best possible job I could, um, you know, given the circumstances. So I, I, I learned a lot that year for sure. Right. The open classroom thing is like the, you know, like everyone wants or says they want companies with open offices now, right? (laughs) It's like an even worse version of that. Like imagine, you know, a job where you're talking to people and they need to hear what you're saying. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot to adapt to. (laughs) Right. It's definitely an inspiring, but also like you said, difficult, I imagine kind of job to have. Yeah. What came uh, next after that? So after Teach for America, um, I looked in, I'd heard of this graduate school called Portfolio Center, um, which was a uh, kind of creative boot camp, basically, in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'd, I'd kind of heard about it. I, I went to a you know little informational meeting about that. And then I looked into it. So during my spring break at, uh, um, at while teaching, I went down there and checked it out and sat in a few classes and talked to some t- instructors and talked to some students. And 
I, that was the first time that I, I figured out, oh yeah, like this is an actual career path doing this type of creative stuff, design, art direction, copywriting, interactive design, all this stuff. This is a, this is a possibility and people are actually going to school for this, making a portfolio and coming out with, you know, getting, landing a great job. So um, I ended up applying and got it accept, got accepted to that. And uh, yeah, so after, after Teach for America, that was kind of my next step was uh, jumping into, into the world of graduate school. And what did it mean at that time to actually build, you know, a creative portfolio? Well, a creative portfolio meant a big black leather bound book with uh, a lot of very, you know, pristine white printed projects of, uh, you know, your, your logo design or your packaging design or whatever. And I very quickly realized that was not what I wanted to do because I was really getting interested in this interactive side of things um, with, you know, websites and, you know, was starting to experiment with flash and game design and little things like that. Yeah. So I really just kind of gravitated towards the interactive side. And so I basically talked the school into allowing me to do a website instead of a, uh, you know, instead of a book. And the, uh, the caveat there, so there's this guy, Hank, who's uh, legendary at the school, Hank Richardson, kind of the, the president there. And uh, he basically said, okay, you can do it, but it has to be special. It has to be, you know, it can't just be a template, you know, <laughs> at the time, GeoCity style <laughs> website, right? It has yeah. to be uh, something that's, uh, that's, you know, unique and represents you and your work. And so, um, right. so I said, okay, that sounds like a good challenge and I'll, I'll try to do that. What did that end up looking like? Yeah. So that ended up being this, this, uh, flash w- website. It did completely in flash. Um, that was all the rage back in the day. And, right. uh, yeah. And basically I, I just made, you know, I did, I showed my projects just like any other student, but then I also did some behind the scenes videos for every project and showed my notes and my thought process and all of that kind of behind the scenes look. So it wasn't just the final, you know, picture of the wine bottle. It was the story behind it and the stops and starts and mistakes and, you know, uh, illuminating events that got me to that point. So it was a lot of kind of showing how I thought instead of just what I made. And I think that that helped. that really helped get my foot in the door and, um, the website, when it came out, gained a lot of traction and attention um, because it was pretty different. And there were a lot of hidden projects in it. So you clicked around, there was this main map screen at the beginning, and you would click around it. And there were like, you know, acoustic covers of me doing songs of Paul Abdul and Madonna and <laughs> dumb stuff like that. You know, just as it would, um, you know, a logo project or a, uh, you know, a rebranding or something like that. So uh, it was it was fun. And, and it was, a, you know, a great, you know, I, I would say, doing the portfolio step portfolio center step was really the best investment I could have made in my career because it, it let me just for two years focus on just experimenting, exploring, figuring out really what I wanted to do. And then at the end of it, you know, being able to focus on making a portfolio that I felt really proud of and felt represented the type of work, the type of career that I wanted to do. So I felt very lucky in that. And that's great with the creative career, right? Cause not everyone can say that, right? A, uh, you know, investment relations associate can, they can show their, their stocks, I guess, or their right. past performance and stuff, but they don't have a visual indicate, you know, here's the exact work, here's my skill set. you know, so I felt very lucky and that's, that's part of our career. And they're not taking years to like explore their options because it's right, so much right. more fixed, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone else, I guess we had her on the first episode of this podcast, Susanna, who does UX work for a lot of big AAA games. Um, mm-hmm. I just find it interesting, these patterns kind of like, there seems to be a lot of intersection also with your story between interactivity, user experience, and you know 
game design and education, all these things kind of seem to intersect. What do you think it is about those that makes them work like that way in tandem? Yeah, I don't think that's an accident, right? I, I do. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, observation. Yeah, because I, I do think video games I've always been fascinated with. Uh, from the Atari 7800 was the first one we had all the way to, you know, I was just playing Xbox One this morning, uh, Yoku's Island Express. It's a pretty cool game. Check it we'll out. Do. But um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, games always appealed to me because they kind of combined everything together, right? They had the music, they had the storytelling, they had the uh, gameplay, they had illustrative graphical elements. Um, it's kind of, you know, the interaction element, navigation, UI, all these different things coming together into one world. I feel like game design is kind of like the ultimate combining of all creative forces coming together. And I think, I think, you know, when you think of what constitutes a game, it's such a wide spectrum, you know, too. So I think what we think is game design today in the future is going to feel like, you know, application design or world design or things as AR and VR, um, you know, start to take over. So a level designer of today may be, you know, doing some very different and interesting things in the future. That's at least how I see things going. I may be completely wrong in that, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. You know, just just the idea of interaction, I guess, has always appealed to me. I, I always like choose your own adventure books. I always liked video games. I always like these things where the user has some ability to move through something a certain way. Um, so I, I guess there's a lot of shared ideas between video games and, you know, UI UX uh, type of design. And I guess that's, that's the appealing part. Right. And I guess also like the games are teaching you something, right? Like that's how game design works. You, you have to learn how yeah. to play by the rules of this world. Yeah. Play by the rules or break the rules, you know, depending on the yeah, game. Right. right. So I think that's a, uh, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge part of it too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting I was just um listening on the other day to, you know, interview with I think it was one of these Netflix showrunners who'd worked on like an independent show saying like, "Oh yeah, you know, television or filmmaking is such a collaborative process. You need to do so much. It's not like writing a novel, it's not like or writing a play or even something like that." And like you just said, game development is like that squared because you have even even yeah. more kind of <laughs> layers of interactivity and programming and logic and things to build in that yeah, previously just yeah. didn't have to be considered. I guess is that what kind of started leading you towards um, where you are now, you know, in San Francisco working for the Photoshop company or, you know, the, a very creative uh, kind of professional environment? Yeah, I mean, it was a weird twisted path, right? Like, I, I feel like um, I was just thinking about this the other day where, like I, like I said earlier, like, you know, I thought at college, my career path was going to be a straight line. I thought it was going to be teaching or something related to teaching or something like that. Probably staying on the East Coast, probably uh, doing those here, you know, side projects here and there. And what ended up happening was, yeah, I go to grad school. I uh, lived in New York for a few years. I flew out to, you know, lived in San Francisco then doing game design stuff. Now at Adobe, like it's just taken so many twists and turns and, you know, uh, stops and starts. It's, it's the, basically the opposite of what I, exact opposite of what I thought I was going <laughs> to do coming out of school. So yeah, it's, it's a weird path that's gotten me here, but, um, yeah, I mean, the, the way that the Adobe job happened was I was looking around for, for a new role and I reached out randomly to this guy, John Knack, who had written about my design portfolio when it had come out, uh, you know, had said, hey, this is, you know, this is a cool portfolio. You should check it out. He was working at the time as a 
PM on the Photoshop team. And uh, so he had this, you know, Adobe blog basically where he's posting all this stuff he still does to this day. And so he had written about it. And so, yeah, randomly, you know, six years later or whatever it was, I reached out to him and said, hey, you wrote about my portfolio um, a while back. I'm actually looking for a job right now. If there's any openings at Adobe, you know, let me know. And didn't think much would come of it, you know, but come to find out he was just joining this new team and was, uh, they were looking for a designer at the time. So it was just, you know, right place, right time, right person to reach out to. I mean, I can't tell you how many other failed opportunities that I probably had, you know, emailing people and things never came of it. But luckily this one um, did work out. And so I, I met up with him and, you know, interviewed and it, luckily it uh, it worked out. So that was about seven years ago. And uh, yeah, it's been uh it's been great because also, you know, I, I, I was worried coming to Adobe, you know, you come to a huge company like Adobe and you think, okay, I'm going to be designer 372 on the Photoshop right. team. And I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to work on the paintbrush icon and make it look just a little bit nicer, you know, something like that. But luckily uh, it, that hasn't been the case at all. You know, I've been allowed to be really creative. I'm the, you know, sole designer on a team for a, you know, this new project where I get a lot of input and user testing and I get, I just get to do quite a lot and a lot of responsibility and a lot of creative challenges. And that's, that's been really fulfilling to me. So whatever worries I had about kind of getting lost in the, uh, you know, sacrificing my creativity to, uh, you know, to a big company, um, hasn't been the case at all, which is, has been very fortunate. Had you already had the um, experience of developing Atmosphere, which was your kind of game uh, game development tool hybrid thing before? Yeah, that was a uh, yeah. So that was the video game indie video game that I uh, that I worked on. Um, and that yeah, that was kind of like again. I didn't when I joined that project. I I didn't know anything about video game design. I really didn't know much about UI UX design. Luckily, we worked with this really talented team of developers in Buenos Aires, Argentina, who did most of the development of the game. And then I kind of fumbled my way through the uh, <laughs> the UI and the branding and all of that stuff, trying to figure it out. So that was kind of a trial by fire experience. But it was uh, it ended up being same. You know, we were really proud of it and it was a really fun game. It was great. And then yeah, so I guess that kind of was my initial foray into UI UX. And then I, you know, did a few different startup things between then and, uh, and Adobe, but, um, yeah, that's kind of what atmosphere was pretty much what set me on the path of, of that type of work, that type of, uh, design stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of an interesting example because, um, from, uh, what I've, you know, found out out with the game, it's kind of a hybrid between being a game, but also being like a creative platform in a similar way. Like, I guess more recent examples of things like Minecraft, you know, would kind of occupy that space. It's kind of crazy to think that, you know, even in 2008, people were kind of thinking about games and what they could do in that way. Yeah, yeah. I was, again, like as coming from that background of Mario Paint and that sort of stuff, I was always really interested in the creative aspects. I, I, and again, my, I'm now my, my son and I are playing uh, Mario Maker 2 on the Switch and it's like just seeing him create levels and, you know, try to trick me and all that stuff. It's a fun, it's that process all over again. And so I think, Creativity and video games go hand in hand, and there's been you know a, a huge great history of uh, level editors and mm-hmm. and you know uh, mods and that sort of stuff. So um, there's a lot of you know cool stuff there. But yeah, for me, I was always like, well, I, I I wanted to make a mix of Lego and Mario. Basically, I wanted to take kind of the ability to take gameplay pieces, put them into blocks and be able to, you know, put them together. And yeah, these were in the days before <laughs> Minecraft and, and things like that. So it was kind of, you know, that, that sort of landscape, but um, yeah, I mean, that, that was always something that kind of fascinated me, uh, it, just creativity in games. And I think I continued to see that, 
coming through with these more open-ended games. Um, you know, Minecraft really blew that open. And I, I think we're seeing that a lot more with um, just, it's okay to have these creative elements in games and not really give players, you know, an instruction manual and, and you know, just kind of, here's the rules of our world, go and have fun and build stuff and create and, you know, see what happens. And that's a whole new, you know, whole genre now of, of, uh, of games that's, uh, that's pretty cool to, to see. And so, you know, for us, it was, yeah, we played a little role in, you know, a little indie game that a few people played and hopefully had fun with and, you know, enjoyed themselves with. But um, it's, it's been really cool to see how that stuff is all, you know, taken off in, in the past years. And it kind of parallels what you're doing now, taking this thing, you know, like in that instance, game development or now character animation that's traditionally been very complicated and increasingly is more, you know, complex as technologies and standards are, you know, ever newer uh, and not dumbing it down, but making it like really accessible, which is, like extremely hard uh you've seen like just to go back to game development studios like um the people who made little big planet right spend all mm-hmm. these years making this game dreams uh which is kind of an even more ambitious version of what they've been trying to do and obviously minecraft and the kind of uh insurgent community that's popped up around that turning it into all kinds of things that you know was never originally intended to be there's it's a lot of work to take something and make it like make it a creative tool that's accessible and I think that's the, that's the thing is like, you, you make a good point of the, like, you know, the dumbing down versus the accessibility. And I think that's a common thing. Like when character animator first came out, I do think there was the, you know, some people like, what is this toy? What is this little, you know, silly thing? Like this isn't after effects. This isn't a full blown animation program, but we were never trying to be that either. We were trying, you know, we were trying to make, make something different and make, you know, just a different way of animating. It doesn't just have to be keyframes, yeah. you know, like there, there are other ways to do things and particularly the idea of performance capture like you said like the perception of performance capture is you got to put these stick these balls on your <laughs> face and stand in front of a green screen and have 20 cameras pointed at yeah. you and you know be an, be anti-circus and you know do your job but the truth of the matter is like yeah it's something anyone can do and it's always amazing to see like you know a kid try character animator for the first time and just be amazed that they are controlling this cat wagging its tail or this, you know, monster, uh, you know, whose head can come off and, you know, all these cool things. And it just, their imagination starts whirling and they just, you know, figure out, Oh, I could do a YouTube channel about Mm -hmm. this, or I could do this for my project or that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's, it's exciting to see. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, you're right. It's hard, like trying to make things as easy as possible. And I still don't think we're as easy as we could be, but I think we're easier than a lot of solutions out there. Um, I, I think we're, you know, it's a, it's definitely a difficult, you know, creative challenge trying to make that as, as simple and straightforward and, and, uh, and accessible as possible. Even in that same industry, like, right, the creative software industry, obviously Adobe has, you know, as long a pedigree and as famous of one as any company are doing that. But even like companies like Apple who've, you know, uh, traditionally people think of Apple being successful because Apple makes, um, you know, very nice hardware, but Apple also makes software that's like really empowering for a lot of people because it's mm-hmm. kind of, is like you said, willing to adopt these new paradigms, even in the upper end creative space, right? The way Apple completely rebuilt their Final Cut software or has tools mm-hmm. like Motion for like animation and things. Like it's powerful software, but you don't have to be a genius to figure out how to use it. Um, and right. I think that's been something that, you know, every company struggles with. Obviously, Adobe Photoshop, incredibly powerful software. It also has a really long legacy and a really high learning curve for some of the more advanced things. So it's probably, I think, like, what is it like the feeling of starting something new that, you know, is admittedly going to be less capable to begin with, but is going to be a better jumping off platform for a lot of people? Like, 
how do you begin to approach that? Yeah, I guess you got to have to have the vision of where it's going. Like we have ideas of what we think character animator will be in the future. Um, and, and we're, you know, definitely pushing towards that, but then we're also just listening to what current users are saying. And that's been the biggest driving factor. I mean, that's been one of the biggest things I've learned from design is you can't design in a vacuum. You can't just say, I have all the answers and I know what's going to happen and I know what looks best and I'm going to do it all. No, you, you, get out your best attempt or attempts, uh, you know, here's three different versions of how something could work. And then you show people and get their feedback on what they think we would do. And very quickly you start to understand, well, this idea that I thought was great is actually terrible. And this idea that I thought was terrible is actually great. And, you know, so basically you just, I'm wrong, like, you know, at least 50% of the time, probably more with this sort of stuff. And you just kind of, you know, test things out and do the user testing and, and see what happens. So, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, for, for character animator in particular, I think it's just a continual evolution process. We have ideas of where we want it to go. We see what people are currently making with it. We understand the strengths and the weaknesses of the program, and we have to kind of prioritize um, based on that. We don't just want to reinvent After Effects, right? right? We don't just want to remake, you know, here's, here's a new, more friendly version of After Effects. That's not what we're trying to do. We are trying to do something um, different. And actually, it complements After Effects. And that, it, like, Character Animator is very reliant on other Adobe programs, right? So you got to, you make your character in Photoshop or Illustrator. Um, you can export it out to After Effects or Premiere Pro. Um, you can do a bunch of stuff with other Adobe programs. So it's it's kind of reliant on those, kind of the Adobe ecosystem in, in a lot of ways. Um, but because of that, we, we can, we don't have to focus on all that stuff. We're not building something that has to have the character creation aspect to it or has to have that um, composition aspect mm-hmm. that, that um, After Effects does. It's kind of somewhere in between. And so that allows to do, you know, have a kind of a sharper focus on the things that character animation, basically, that that's really our focus. Um, and, and so we're trying to make that as, as good as we possibly can. I guess that's the model Adobe um, kind of has now is that, you know, the idea that you use all this software together, you use Photoshop and Illustrator mm-hmm. to make textures or to make, you know, things you use uh, software like character animator to you know, make it move, you use After Effects to put the, you know, finishing touches on it. Um, right. So such and such. Well, what was it like getting the development process of Character Animator going at you know Adobe, this massive company? Uh, was it like a effort that you were like really involved in from the beginning, or were you pulled into it? What was that like? Yeah, I got pulled into it. Um, I, I basically uh, so the the uh, the code name for it was Animal. That was how it started out, and basically it was the idea of it was a bunch of people who had been working on the After Effects team, and said, you know, we want to try something different, and we want to make something that feels that just you know allows a new way to do animation. So they just explored a bunch of concepts and, um, you know, basically did this internal beta of this thing, this animal project. Uh, and luckily through the grapevine, I heard about it and I started making characters for them and, you know, making little robots or monsters or things like that. Our, our unofficial mascot, or I guess our official mascot at this point is this little guy, red monster. He's this little red character with spikes on him. And I made him in five minutes during my lunch break one day. <laughs> it was just like a, before I joined the team, it was just like, eh, I'll make a little character, throw him over there. Hmm. Had I known he'd be on stickers and t-shirts and stuff like that, I probably would have spent a little more time on him. But uh, again, you know, the, the thing you never think is going to be what works out is what works out in the end. And so that's something they picked up. I just was interested. I was testing the beta. I was sending them feedback. And luckily there was a they got a, a role opening up for a designer on the team. And so I, I switched internally um, to to the character animator team Yeah, four years ago. I mean, I'd previously been working on a uh, mobile video editing app called Premiere Clip. And then uh, 
uh, when it went over to character. And then you're kind of like, for a lot of things, the face of that software when it comes to like teaching people how to use it. What is that role like? Explaining it and seeing how people, you know, use the software you've been working on. Yeah, that's a weird one because I, you know, that was never part of my job description, right? Like I, I'm, I'm like on paper, I'm a designer, right? Like that's, that's what I was hired for. That's what I'm supposed to do. But somehow in the, you know, in the scheme of things, it, I am now doing, you know, all these YouTube tutorials and speaking engagements and things like that to kind of essentially evangelize uh, the, the product and help people through it. I just saw a need as a user. Like when I was first demoing, uh, you know, even before I joined the team, I think is when I did my first uh, tutorial video for them, because I felt like, well, more people need to figure out the, what the, you know, learn about this project product, because I think it's going to help a lot of people. And there, there really weren't a lot of video tutorials out there for it. And so I just started, you know, making things and throwing it out there and they started to gain traction. And the team was like, Hey, this is great. Can you do more of these? <laughs> and yeah, sure. Okay. So, you know, so that's the fun part about my job is I feel like any, every day is completely different. Like every day I'm doing every week is, is there, maybe I'm drawing a robot one day and doing a tutorial the other day and doing a really, really hard UI UX problem, trying to solve that the next day, or maybe all three of those things on any one day. It's kind of a mix of a bunch of things. But as a creative person, like I was saying before, I love that. Like I love exploring and I'm in a really diverse, different um, job every day. A lot of the same themes come back and forth and I'm um, working on stuff like that. But yeah, the YouTube side of things has always been, that just seemed like the best way to show off what Character Animator could do. And just naturally, mm. it's kind of evolved into, uh, I, I guess, for better or for worse, me being the face of uh, of Character Animator, usually with red tracking dots all over my face. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's how it goes. Right. I think it's just so interesting because like nowadays, you know, people like, you know, me in college, the way we're learning software anyways is through an online tutorial of someone on YouTube, uh, oftentimes mm -hmm. not a representative mm -hmm. of the company. So who knows what they're doing or how how up to date whatever you're, you're going to find uh, is going to be. But that's just how yeah. people kind of have to learn a lot of stuff these days, especially like, you know, nowadays at any school, but a school like UVA, which doesn't always have programs for that stuff, also, everyone depends on, you know, a lot of online documentation and um, educational resources to develop this. I don't I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound cheesy, but like new media skill set. Yeah, I think there's people are still trying to figure that out. Right. You see a lot of these online courses that you can you know pay for. You see, um, you know, yeah, people making whole YouTube channels based on, you know, a particular product or a particular idea. Um, yeah, it is a really new, interesting world. And, and I feel like. I, I just looked at myself, like, like, look at myself. Like I say, well, like the other day I was trying to figure out our washing machine broke and I was trying to figure out how to fix it. So how did I do that? I went on YouTube and searched the model and, you know, they showed me how to fix it. I tried, I did not successfully fix it. So we have to replace our washing machine, unfortunately. So I, I don't know what that says about online learning, but <laughs> but yeah, trial of error or process of elimination. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's, uh, but that's, that's where I go for information. I think that's when you see it in a video, particularly if it's a well-produced video where they, you know, don't spend the first 30 seconds showing their logo <laughs> and like, and subscribe and all that stuff, which Some I montage of, of them traveling <laughs> that you don't need to see for two minutes. <laughs> Slow oh motion God. music. It's, but, but yeah. You, yeah, but you know, like that's the stuff yeah. you learn. Like I probably would have done that exact same thing, but the good thing is I did that before YouTube was invented, right? You so, avoided like, it. I got, yeah, yeah. So that was it. my people watching my Mario Paint, paint uh, book reports had to suffer through that, but people watching on YouTube luckily don't. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of, 
you know, as you do think I, with anything I do, I feel like I, I'm horrible the first time, but the more I do it, I, the bet, you know, hopefully the better and more confident I get with it and the things I learn. Um, so I, I look back to, you know, even my first tutorials that I did a few years ago, I'm like, oh, that's so poorly paced or, you know, I'm, I'm zooming in too much or whatever. I'm very self-critical of that sort of stuff, but um, it's a learning process and you just got it. The first step is making it. You got to put it out there. You got to just, you know, just I, again, like no one told me to make these videos. I just started doing them and luckily it, it, uh, it worked out and it's just, you know, you just, if you're interested in it and you're passionate about it, just, just go for mm-hmm. it. And what are some of the kind of, you know, use cases you've seen people using character animator with that have stuck out to you? There's a lot of, um, Twitch video game streamers who are, you know, using character animator to be live animated cartoon versions of themselves while they're on stream. And so I remember just one day randomly seeing, you know, just on Twitter saying, Hey, check this guy out, this scribbly guy. And I, I went on, uh, online and, and it was this guy with a TV for a head and, and he was, uh, you know, talking about games and he was getting thousands of people coming in and watching them. And it was all done through character animator. I was like, wow, this is amazing because that's one of the benefits of character animator is it allows you to do live animation. Um, you can just, you know, sync up your character and start talking and you've got it, you know, live in the moment. And, you know, I, that was the first instance I had seen of that sort of thing. And it, and it really started a watershed moment. Um, there's, you know, a ton more of these, you know, character streamers out there now. So, I think that that was really cool to see that. Definitely when the Simpsons used character animator, that was kind of a uh, like wow moment. Like I, at first when they did the press release, we couldn't believe like they did it and we couldn't believe like it was true. It's like, no, they're not really using character animator. Come on. And then we got the call from Fox and they are using character <laughs> animator. So wow. we're like, okay, well. So that was, uh, and in that, uh, Homer basically does a live Q&A um, at the end of the episode. And they did one for the East Coast and one for the West Coast where people called in and talked to Homer live um, for the last three minutes of the show. And uh, it was crazy. And it could have gone horribly wrong. Luckily, it went great. And uh, that really helped, you know, give us some animation street cred that the Simpsons used us for their, you know, live event. It's been really cool to see that. I mean, to work with these, you know, companies you kind of, and shows you kind of admired um, throughout life. Um, And that's, you know, Archer, My Little Pony, um, a lot of the, I mean, I've always been a huge My Little Pony fan, but uh, no, not really. Um, I have a six-year-old daughter, but uh, she watches it. Um, That's my excuse. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to work with, you know, talk to all these, you know, companies, the Nickelodeons of the world that had a pivotal uh, role in, in, in my life and my creativity growing up and being able to kind of um, help, you know, shape the next generation and that sort of stuff is, is always fun. So, and then you just get these weird, crazy things, right? Where like people are projecting character animator things on pumpkins and making them talk to people at Halloween, or, you know, there was this uh, children's hospital that was doing an interactive game where um, Mr. Potato Head is talking to the, you know, the patients and you can call in and ask them questions or play games with them and stuff. It's every given week, there's some innovative thing that someone's doing with character animator that just blows me away that, um, you know, really, uh, really um, keeps keeps me inspired to keep wanting to do, you know, the best job I can to make it, make it more accessible and make, you know, a lot of cool new features for people in the future. And just technologically, it's amazing that, you know, you have both the computing resources and the software to, like you just said, animate live in those situations, like to do live Q&A, mm-hmm. to do a Twitch stream. Just even the concept of that 20 years ago, I think would have blown anyone's mind. Yeah, it's, 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 it still blows my mind. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I mean, you, you think back to like, you know, when Walt Disney was first doing this sort of stuff, I mean, Disney is what it is today because of animation, right? Like that was like Snow White and all that stuff was, was, uh, that's, that's how it all began and, and Mickey Mouse and, 
you know, all of these animated shorts, that's really the reason that, that, you know, Disney has gotten to where it is today. That's how it all started. So imagine, imagine him getting his hands on this sort of stuff nowadays to be like, oh my gosh, like it's, it's insane what you, you know, all those things that were painstakingly hand done back in the day. Now that's not to say that, you know, obviously you, you can never replace that stuff. And, and there is always a time and place for hand-drawn animation and, you know, different techniques. And, you know, I think of animation more as a toolbox rather than the one, tool to rule them all right so it's it's not sometimes you need a hammer sometimes you need a screwdriver sometimes you need a wrench so you know sometimes you need hand-drawn animation you need character animator after effects whatever you know program you want to use it's kind of and a lot of times you're using multiple programs to get to the you know the end result that you're looking for so i don't think it's someone has to fail for us to succeed i think it's um you know a lot of different players uh you know coming together and, and helping uh, helping build things out and again, that just touches on one of the benefits of, I guess, the way Adobe works now with subscriptions, where like it's not a matter of, oh, you know, I have character animator, but do I really want to buy After Effects? Because it's like right. you get it, you know, you get everything essentially. And if you're a student, I think it's like twenty dollars a month. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, have criticized that for various reasons, like veterans in this, I guess, the creative industry, right? And I don't want to, you know, put you in the fire too much for that, uh, but just like, <laughs> but obviously, at, at the same time, it's opened up all of these new opportunities. Is there any relationship between what you're doing and the idea of the business and the accessibility of the software you're making? Yeah, I definitely think like I think the subscription service has actually made something like Character Animator possible because I don't I don't know I, I don't know how successful we'd be if we sold this in a shrink wrapped box for you know X amount of dollars. I think I was kind of skeptical skeptical at first, but even you know before I joined Adobe when they were moving to the cloud model and subscription stuff, they were one of kind of the first to to do that, and I was like. I don't know about this. Like, I kind of like my, you know, I, I had my whatever version of Photoshop that I, you know, paid whatever for to, <laughs> to, to get. But as, as I, as they did it and I used it, I was like, oh, actually this is way better. Cause I can try out these different things that I never tried before. And that's how I, you know, learned a lot of these, these new programs. And, and, uh, and, you know, once, once you kind of learn one Adobe product, a lot of that can transfer over to to other ones as well. There's kind of a you know shared resource process there. So yeah, I, I guess I, I've come around to it, and now I feel like I, I personally I love subscriptions for everything. Like I was just talking about you know video games and Xbox Game Pass. That's that's been one of my favorite things to do. Is just there's these games that I would have never you know paid full price for or even gone on a limb and tried, but because they're part of Game Pass. You know, it's just like a Netflix thing. I'll just, okay, what's the worst that could happen? I'll try downloading this or I'll try playing this or, you know, listening to this or whatever. And uh, more times than not, it's, it's a, you know, it's a surprise or it's a, it's a, you know, positive experience. Mm -hmm. So these subscription things are lowering the barrier to entry for exper experimentation. Um, and particularly, you know, like you're saying for the student and a student discount, like it's, it's made, like that's when you've got the time to, you know, try fooling around with this stuff. And that's when I was doing all my dumb experiments and, you know, playing around with things. And uh, so having those type of resources at your fingertips, it's when you're only, you know, only really limited by your free time and imagination, that's a, that's a great place to be in. Right. And I guess it goes both ways because you've seen, you know, Netflix and Disney plus now and all of this, it creates such a market for content, right? Like in, in those situations, yeah. you get so many more people being able to actually make movies or games or shows or whatever yeah, than yeah. there ever would have been before just because that model can sustain, you know, so much more. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah, it's definitely uh, really neat. I guess just wrapping up, if you're like looking back at it all now, how different do you think 
things would be now like you know the time you were growing up you were your band wasn't thinking of putting your stuff on soundcloud you weren't thinking of right you know paying an adobe cc subscription to get everything you weren't thinking of uploading the youtube all of that like how do you how how different do you think things would have been if say you were growing up now or if you're graduating now like what is it like to look back things probably would have turned out the same some one way or another but i think it's just it's just opportunities are so much more accessible nowadays in in a good way and a bad way right so you're you know because you have things like youtube or being able to put a website online that sort of stuff everyone has a megaphone that they can put out to their voice and project themselves to the rest of the world and say whatever they want and that's you know good and bad depending on the person or what you have to say you know i guess it actually worked out okay because all the dumb stuff that or awkward stuff that I wanted to say when the internet wasn't around. And then when it came out, I mean, I still say dumb stuff all the time, but uh, I guess less so than, than, uh, than my younger years. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it, I think it's, there's just a ton of opportunities at, at, you know, it's just easier than ever to get your voice heard. And yeah, you've got to compete with the rest of the world because everyone's online, but you have that opportunity. Um, and so it's, I feel like, the opportunities there to, you know, whatever you want to do to make a difference or even to learn about stuff. Like I said, I, I didn't know what design was back when I was at UVA, but nowadays I find that would probably be hard, hard to believe because I, I, you know, I'm sure I would have heard about it through a YouTube channel or something, you know, that I see online, some sort of article or something, or, or Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So it's a different world. There's a lot of information out there, a lot of different paths, but, um, I think it's uh, it's exciting. I, I don't I don't have I don't have any regrets. I guess I think it's it's things have worked out okay, and I'm optimistic about the future that I'm bringing my my kids into as well. So um, it's uh, yeah, I I guess it's all right. Awesome. And just real last question: <laughs> going into looking at education, going to UVA before undergrad, you had a very traditional educational experience, and I think a lot of people are having that whether they're going to UVA or any other college. I mean. The, there's there's these two sides of the education debate. One saying, "Oh, we should you know emphasize traditional educational values, or we should emphasize these new practical skills that kids should have, right? Whether it's involved in art or acting or whatever." Like, where do you stand on that yourself? Just having had you know experiences in both of those worlds. Yeah, um, and that's interesting to think about. As I think about like you know we're saving, we're starting to do funds for our, you know, saving up for our children's college experience, you know, experience uh, for the future. And so that's something to think of, like, what's college going to look like in, you know, 15 years or whatever. Personally, I feel like learning is not something you can box up into any one thing and say, this is the right way to do it. I think there are so many different ways that different people learn. And I also think, like I was saying, I, I, I learned just as much outside the classroom as inside the classroom. So who am I to say that, you know, this way is the right way to do it or not? Um, I, I think that, for me, that that UVA experience was was everything. It was it was the it was the classroom stuff. It was the extracurricular stuff. But it was just learning how to you know be a competent human being and and react to social situations and relationships and uh, you know the and budgeting and you know all the stuff that I guess comes with that. And UVA kind of gave me a safe zone to to figure all that stuff out in um, or, or or attempt to figure that out in. So yeah, I, I guess uh, you know it's it's. I mean, I'm still learning stuff nowadays. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not done with the process. So I, I feel like uh, it's just an ongoing thing. And I think uh, there's, there's never going to be one right answer to say this is, this is right or wrong. Um, I hope that I think there's a place for the traditional college experience um, because I do think it, it 
opens you up to it, it. It gives you everyone in one physical place the ability to continue, uh, you know, to learn and together and collaborate and uh, make mistakes together and you know all of this stuff. Um, and I think that's you know you can say all you want about virtual experiences, but I think there is something there with, um, you know, being in a physical place and kind of devoting yourself to that. I felt that like definitely for graduate school, for me, if I had just done online courses, instead of going to the two-year graduate school, it would have been a very, very different experience. And like there were internship opportunities that popped up, uh, and career connections from the school. There were collaborations that I did with the other students in person where we go to different events or do different things together. There was just a lot of physical stuff that I think, you know, you only get in those type of situations. So I think, I guess what I'm coming to the long winded way of saying it is a mix of everything, balance everything. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's hopefully where, where things continue to, to move in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Who's Shoulders. And thank you once more to Dave for this interview. We'll link info for Character Animator and Dave Social if you're interested in his work and portfolio in the podcast description. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate if you could rate and review Who's Shoulders on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded the show. You can also subscribe to us in your podcast app of choice to keep getting future episodes and stories of innovative UBA students. Who's Shoulders will return next month with another guest. Enjoy September. Hope this sort of school is going well, and we'll see you next month in October. Peace.